Hey, Power Athlete Nation. We're going to have to take a moment here to thank our key sponsor for Power Athlete Radio, Power Athlete Training. <laughs> the best in the business, the best in the world, pretty much the best in the universe. If you're looking for a training program to help you put on muscle, get uh, extremely fit, or really just meet any of your performance training goals, it's really easy. You go to powerathletehq.com. You scroll down to browse my training. We even have a find your program where you can go through the survey and find perfect program to meet your needs. And get started today. So a seven-day free trial. And then throughout the month, it's less than a dollar a day. You get world-class coaching straight to the palm of your hand. That includes specific training programs, videos for movement demos, sets, reps, and then tracking all within our world-class app. I mean, really, it's going down the rabbit hole. I mean, we'll take you as deep as you want. I mean, to quote our old friend Morpheus, you take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in bed, you believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I'll show you exactly how deep the rabbit hole goes. That's how we go with training. We want to get people deep. We want to have you reach your goals. We want you to tear the, you know, tear the proverbial door off the wall and uh, go in there and just kick ass. And I think we have the best in the business programs, and we got the, uh, the battery of people to prove it. And there you go. Take the red pill at PowerAthleteHQ.com. Sounds good. Thank you, Power Athlete. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio, featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Hey, welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I'm John Wellborn, CEO of Power Athlete, and I'm joined by Mr. Chris McQuilkin, a.k.a. Tex. Howdy. Good to see you. I'm excited for this one, John. Oh, yeah? Why is that? Well, we're talking training. Ooh, you know in me. One, I love talking training. In one program in particular, I know you're very proud of, our Field Strong program. It is our foundation. It was really the first offering. You know, obviously, we had the CrossFit Football Free program. But there came a very distinct question. What would power athlete look like if you subtracted all of the CrossFit? Or actually, I think, what would CrossFit football look like without the CrossFit? Mm-hmm. And it started with a blog post that I did on Talk to Me Johnny called the Power Athlete Template. And Field Strong was actually ported off of that initial template when we had a hacked up WordPress paid back end where we had a ton of people checking programs and we really were able to write this thing in real time. And um, really ferret out just a lot of ideas that I had had and especially things that I'd used in training. I mean, obviously, I had the, the foundation of all the stuff that I'd done in high school, college, and the NFL. And then, you know, had this amazing opportunity to put out free programming and then travel and meet the people that were doing it through CrossFit football. And between not only the books and the, the individuals that, uh, you know, at the time I was working with from, you know, everybody from Louis Simmons to Kelly Starrett and, uh, you know, all the different individuals associated with CrossFit. Um, it was pretty amazing to be able to write that program and still continues to be one of my favorite programs and one I'm most proud of. And from the seminar series, we would teach a specific execution of the squat taken from Fred Hatfield compensatory acceleration. And I remember first applying the field strong online, the WordPress, and we asked for video feedback, watching lifts mm-hmm. during the first testing phase yep. and speed was shockingly slow. Yeah, so we uh, there was a um, a testing phase that came after. So at the time, we had been approached by I believe it was Compex about um, implementing Compex EMS devices into the training program, 
And so what was cool was we were able to get a discount. We had a ton of people using EMS. I wrote protocols for the EMS to pair up with the training uh, based off of the, you know, not only my experience with EMS, but some of the conversations I had with Charlie Francis eons ago. Um, and the way I had used compacts coming back from different, or sorry, I had used EMS coming back from different uh, injuries. So at the time, Compex was kind of the best situation at the time using, because they had the most variation. Obviously, PowerDot, uh, you know, took it and continued to run with the ball, which was a much better product. But I remember <clears throat> we had about 800 people in that, and I bet you we had a couple hundred that were using the Compex devices pretty regularly, which was pretty amazing. <clears throat> so we were able to not only put a ton of stuff together, but we were able to really, you know, maximize max motor unit recruitment with the EMS devices. But what was cool is when the cycle got done, we had a testing cycle and I asked people, Hey, you know what? Like uh, we're going to test rep maxes. We're going to do this. We're going to, you know, all this different volume and intensity. And I was trying to be really creative with all these checks and balances like, okay, Hey, what's your five RM? What's your three RM max weight or max reps at body weight, max reps at 80%. And I was trying to like basically cover all my bases to see if we could really figure out if the programming was really reaping the benefits that we thought it was. And so as I had all these numbers in front of me, they just looked like a, a bunch of numbers. And I remember I called Louis Simmons and I even called Fred Hatfield and talked to him about it. And both of their comments were the same. Numbers are useless unless we see them within context. What does the video look like? Are people not tech, you know, are they not as good on their technique? Like, how are they doing it? It's, you know, are you quantifying things based off of the video? So I asked people to send me in the videos. And as I sat back and watched all of these videos, one thing was abundantly clear. Slow. Everybody was moving very, very slow. So what I realized is that we had had so much heavy strength work in that people just got accustomed to moving the bar extremely slow. And that was the first time, uh, I think at the time we had talked about, you know, compensatory acceleration, but the bigger issue was like, we weren't necessarily beating it and programming it in. We were talking about, you know, using compensatory acceleration for all of your movements but it wasn't until we started looking at velocity-based training uh -huh. and trying to back into cat training and actually calling it cat training and his mechanical advantage increases, so to speed, really driving that home to people that all of a sudden now it's like, if you want people to be fast, you have to write into your program to be fast. And that that's the beauty of the field strong program. And we found out the hard way, this is years ago that we can't just tell these people what to do. We need to arrange different movements to allow for our coaching what we're aiming for, the prudency to be expressed. And Field Strong is the a beautiful representation of that because we find ways where we don't just talk about moving the bar as fast as you can. We put you in a position, either it's after the barbell lift or before the barbell lift, depending on the cycle we're in, to get that expression of speed, which then ultimately leads to what we're aiming for, transfer of the weight room into whatever it is you're playing, your field, court, sport, or your job. Uh, you know, though, the one big issue, um, you know, if you listen to the internet, you believe that nobody's training like an athlete, but we've been training athletes for as long as we've been around this place and to train an athlete. And obviously we use different barbells to challenge posture and position through full range of motion movements. You got to have a ton of jumps, both vertical and horizontal jumps in terms of like, you know, some form of hurdle hops, block jumps, but also jumping for distance in terms of broad, uh, ton of lateral plyos. And you got to get people prepared to sprint. And the big one that we ran into was uh, starting to really develop and look at foot strength mm -hmm. as the limiting factor for not only knee and hip stability and really just up the chain. 
So I know when uh, it was a couple of years ago when Cal Dietz presented at Sornix and really talked about, you know, foot weakness being the major culprit for why there was all this other dysfunction. It was hacking a problem that we had seen for a number of years, but didn't necessarily know how to fix with an elegant solution. And he put a really interesting, elegant solution together, which we started incorporating into the program with everything from, you know, active foot, more calf work, uh, a ton of anterior tip banded work, and just forcing people into different, you know, uh, positions and forcing them to put their foot strength at the forefront within their training. And it's really translated into a much healthier individual and also much more, uh, you know, return on energy and just, you know, stiffness within the sprinting. Mm-hmm. So let, let's start. We've began with the origins. Now, who would you recommend this program is for? Who are we aiming with the Field Strong program? The perfect archetype is somebody who's still competing in some type of sport that's using it for their off-season or even their in-season training program. So we have people that are, you know, not only playing, you know, uh, you know, running track, but also playing sports. You got volleyball, gym, I mean, I'm um, sorry, volleyball, basketball, uh, different sports, you know, obviously football, whatnot. A lot but, of old men rugby. Out a there. lot of old men rugby, a lot of people playing lacrosse. So people that are using their training in interesting ways for sport. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's limited to those individuals. I believe that this program is for anybody who still wants to train like an athlete and believes themselves to be athletic. Mm-hmm. I think the interesting thing of like, I remember uh, this guy, I can't remember if it was on Dave Tate's site or whatnot, but he was like, train like a linebacker, eat like a bodybuilder. And I was like, oh my God, dude. Like uh, at the end well, of the day, good. <laughs> I mean, like it just, it seems so cheesy, but like at the end of the day, if you claim to be athletic, you have to do a style of training that forces you to be athletic. And then you have to take that athleticism and use it in a way that allows you to test athleticism. Mm-hmm. So whether that be, uh, you know, in some rec league or, you know, playing at some high stakes, whatever it is, uh, I believe that that doesn't end just because your competition, you have to find new ways to go out and port it into stuff and however you want to do it. So, I mean, I really think when I look at, you know, obviously uh, Jack Street gets a ton of creativity out of me, but I really think that we've had more time to work with Fieldstrong and really understand the life cycle of what we want to see over the course of the year, being able to use the power athletic power athlete metabolic conditioning cycles to really build a good foundation kind of within that kind of end of the year, kind of Q1. And then now we're kind of moving in and got through a little bit of our, you know, PAP type training. We've used French contrast. Uh, We're getting ready for a uh, more hypertrophy based program. I want to put a little more armor on these guys and then force them to go out and use that in interesting ways. So I think we're going to hit a a kind of a field strong, a little bit of hypertrophy based field strong, which we haven't done in a number of years. Yep. Um, you know, we got the sandbag cycles, which is that idea of you know creating tensile strength. We use compensatory acceleration in the jumps and the sprinting, getting re- ready for people to sprint as they're getting into the fall season. Summer. This, this is a beautiful transition to the next question. Like, what does a year on Field Strong look like? Because many strength and conditioning programs that people out there can purchase online, okay, this is a six week program, this is an eight week program, or yep. this Field Strong. Is an actual, I mean, based off your experience as an athlete and coaching athletes and the seasonality that we understand athleticism to be developed, it's the ultimate expression of that delivered right to the palm of your hand. Yeah. Uh, okay. So when I look at field strong, we really look at it in four, in four quarters. So that we obviously have our winter, which would be like our off-season conditioning because I base it just out of my own mind on football. So we mm-hmm. have our off-season workout conditioning. 
And then when you kind of get through that, then we get in obviously into our spring season and then you get into your summer and then you get into your fall. So really those four seasons break down. We usually start in the winter with that metabolic conditioning cycle. So the idea of we're going to build a big base. And if you want more information on that, you can go back and check the uh, podcast we did with Boyd Epley, Boyd Epley from Nebraska, where, um, you know, we, we did those in college with Todd Rice and I've done those every off season. It's really just the initial, you know, Hey, I've come off the season. I'm getting back into training. For me, it was always right around Valentine's day is where I started. And then from Valentine's day to St. Patrick's day, that month was really a solid month. And then even into like the April one, that six weeks was really where I would build all my metabolic conditioning stuff. And that would be, you know, similar to what we see in the PMC from there, we would start training heavy with barbells and start getting ready to start sprinting. And that involved uh, more plyometrics, more jumping, just getting people prepped and ready and getting the muscles and the ligaments and the tendons, everything elastic and ready to jump and store energy. And then as we start getting into the summer, now we start having to get in better shape. Now we're going to be sprinting more. We're going to be you know, changing up the reps. We're not going to do so much volume. It's going to be a lot more strength and power based. And we're going to keep an eye on recovery uh, because we're going to get more sprinting. And then as we transition into the fall, that's really when our season starts. And now we got to start you know, preparing, which is going to be a little bit more bodybuilding, a little bit more training and just getting people into that entire kind of four quarters within the training. Now, obviously we, uh, you know, it follows that general outline, but mm-hmm. how we kind of skin it every year kind of changes as, you know, we find new things, we find new ways to do it and just really just, you know, keep the practices alive. And as it started, go back to the video. So encourage all of our athletes to post their lifts and we watch. So it's giving the individual specific direction and also honing our voice, of how we are putting them in a position to succeed. If our intention is one way, but then we're getting feedback via video and somebody following the program and it's not what it looks like. Yeah. We take more responsibility for that than their misinterpretation. Sure. Like the thing with field strong is you are, committed to the program you are following it it's not like the old school uh online training days where you just oh this workout looks hard i'm going to pick it this day and then the next day i'm going to take it for that one no this is a full-fledged strength and conditioning program focused on unlocking athletic potential developing athleticism uh the one big uh the one deficiency i really see is in the metabolic or sorry is in the metabolic work so do you not remember? in field strong in the rest of the world, right? Well, uh, even, um, we put a ton of med ball work. I mean, it's, it's been a foundation of all my speed work for you know decades. Uh, and that comes from that Charlie Francis GPP med ball work. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a ton of transverse playing, a lot of rotation. It's really helping us in terms of prepping the body, you know, violent throws, being able to catch. I mean, that's a huge, huge component of within speed training is that, is that med ball work. And, uh, I just don't see it. Um, you know, whenever I you know click on the internet and people are harping about athletic training, all they're doing is showing a bunch of resistance band jumps, but I believe that there's a huge component. I mean, Louis Simmons, Westside barbell has always used a ton of med ball work. Mm-hmm. I remember that day we showed up and they had one of their track girls on the, uh, on the plyo sled and she was doing a ton of plyometric work and it looked a lot like the stuff that we used to do with Charlie Francis med ball GPP work. Yeah. And Essentially, the the field strong is athletic form of training like you would your sport, but you can do it solo in your garage. And we understand that. We know exactly who our audience is, and we cater to them in writing the program. So if something is in the program, there's not a lot of subbing opportunity. Two references. One is med ball. We need to find a way for you to throw, release something, and then either catch it on a rebound so you decelerate and then reverse and redirect. 
and also trampoline. Mm-hmm. So some folks ask us, what are some subs for one of our favorite movements, a trampoline sprint? There our response is, well, the, uh, um, so we really like speed training is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. especially a, as an older athlete, yeah. we understand who you are. Yeah. So the speed training is really fascinating because to really coach speed, you know, it's either has to be done video or you have to be doing it in real time. So, and the problem of eventually is people are running away from you. So mm-hmm. that's where we really like, like the true form. For example, I remember when, uh, uh, Bobby's dad dropped off the true form to us the very first day. What was his name? Jeff. Jeff. Uh, <laughs> so Jeff drops us off, comes to, this is little power athlete in Costa Mesa drops off a uh, true form. And as we were going through all the run stuff, I realized I'm like, you guys are marketing this as a, you know, a viable option endurance. for people sprinting endurance. Like you were in the CrossFit situation. I really viewed it as a, as a sprint trainer. Mm-hmm. So I could take somebody and coach them technique wise on the true form. And then once I got them to where I wanted, immediately take them and let them sprint out on the street. And uh, that was where I saw huge dividends. So something like the true form, extremely beneficial for coaching technique, you know, toe up, knee up, all the really good coaching cues, getting somebody up up on the curb so they can understand lean because that's a big one. However, if you're just a person in your garage, don't necessarily have access to said true form. It it might be a little expensive. What are some other tools? So then my next option, if you didn't have access to a true form, is to find some form of incline running. So uh, we've long ago made the observation, I made the observation that nobody runs poorly uphill because one, you have to be able to lean and you got to use high knees and big arm swing to be able to get up the hill. So uphill running became an extremely important aspect of like, if you can't sprint, we're going to teach you to sprint either on the true form or running uphill. What if you don't have access to a true form or an uphill? The next one became the trampoline. So we got this from Dave Spitz, who was trained a bunch of his combine guys, mm-hmm. and they were coaching technique using the mini tramps. They're 20 to 30 bucks on Amazon. They're, they're portable. They're simple. They're easy. There's no, like, uh, it's too expensive with the trampolines. They're all over. You can get them at, you know, um, uh, sporting goods stores. You can probably, probably jump your on. your mom's attic. Your mom's attic. You can probably get on Facebook Marketplace, and there's somebody giving one our way right now. And so you can take that home to your gym. And we can do some really cool sprint work and start working on high knees, big arm swing, up tall and fall and all that with the, with the mini tramp, which became another viable option. So we had true form, we had uphill running, and then we had the mini tramp. The biggest issue I see when I see people sprint is they don't understand that they have to be able to keep a nice forward lean, big arm swing, and they got to act like they're trying to knee somebody in the face when they drive their knee. They're just very, very passive in their in their leg drive. Mm-hmm. So this, this is an example of observations from – John's experience coaching training that are then programmed into field strong. So that way we accomplish what our intention is. It's not just written words. We allow movements to put you in the best position to execute where we see fail points. Like uh, for example, when we'll do some of our PAP or post activation potentiation, we do something heavy and something dynamic. One of my favorites is actually the switching lunge jumps. Mm -hmm. So what we'll do is put somebody in lunge position and we'll actually ask them to jump and switch legs and and double butt kick and double butt kick. Uh, the only way that you can effectively do it is if you're very violent off the ground and you're very explosive up this way. And I've watched people do it where they're really passive and they're just moving their feet. And the idea is that we're trying to force the knee to be driven violently. Uh And so I I think that there's uh, an interesting thing like sprinting is not uh, something that you do passively. If you're going to run a hundred miles an hour, you got to 
get in a good position. You got to put your foot in the ground. You got to drive it through. And uh, the analogy I gave is imagine you're just trying to knee people in the face. The age old, you know, Roger Craig, if you want to go jump on YouTube and look up one of the running backs for the ninth, for the uh, San Francisco 49ers, Roger Craig, probably the most dynamic runner. Two first names. I don't trust him. One of the most dynamic runners I've ever seen. I mean, that dude took the ball and literally high kneed his way all the way through the line of scrimmage. Anybody wants to tack him? He just literally would just need him in the face. <laughs> One of my favorites, Roger Craig, like that style of running. I mean, you watch, um, you know, uh, Walter Payton. I mean, you know, like the, it, if you guys are really excited, jump on YouTube and he has a cool video of him sprinting uphill. He had this bitch in hill in his backyard and that's where he learned that leg drive. So, I mean, there's very v- real benefits to getting your knee up, toe up and really being violent with your uh, acceleration. Also benefits to the tool you introduced. This is a programming tool called post-activation potentiation, Yes, meaning we're going to hit barbell movement first and then use that coordination from the heavy barbell that's now firing to do something awesome and explosive like lunge jumps. Sure. That's an example. Uh, we focus on a tool per cycle. There's another cycle, potentiation, mm-hmm. meaning then we do that high-level coordination movement like the lunge jump or uh, several others or the trampoline. And then use that to bring into a barbell movement. Yes. So both beneficial, and that's the beauty of Field Strong. It's finding different tools to focus on, and there is no one way. And there's not doing too many tools at once. Yes. So I think if uh, you try to sit on every seat, you sit on no seats. So each cycle has a very, very real progression within it. I found uh, pretty early on that the post-activation potentiation training was extremely beneficial for not only developing speed, but also strength and power. So we would do something heavy, then go over and we would, you know, like, like say, for example, heavy triple on the squat, immediately go over and it'd be a 10 yard sprint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people have used sleds and, and uh, shin hops. Yeah. Shin hops. There's going to be something dynamic. You know, we'll do uh, the oscillating hamstrings with the flutter kicks. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a million different pieces, but then as the individual becomes more in shape and more adept at handling that high level neurological demand of training, we can start changing it up and we can go into potentiation where now we're using these different dynamic movements to prep the body to do something heavy. So it's almost like we're fatiguing neuromuscular pathways and then forcing the body to find a way to do something dynamic. And then we switch it up. So, uh, and the problem becomes, and this is where we get into this. Cause I mean, I would love if everybody got to start January one and run it through, but the, the bigger, diff, uh, the bigger issue comes down to, Like, are you in good enough shape to survive your training? So do you have a high level of GPP? Do you have a big level of capacity to be able to handle this? And I think when people think GPP, they're just thinking like, you know, level two, you know, 70, 75% heart rate. No, it's not like that. Like it's, can you handle heavy weights for repeated efforts? Or do you have the ability to recover quickly to be able to give a hundred percent to be able to do something dynamic? Mm -hmm. So I want to get into a relevant topic for field strong, but not specific to the program quickly. What's the difference between conditioning and coordination? So the old school world of CrossFit that led to this field strong product, it was strength and then GPP conditioning. Sure. But that's not the training experience that we see on field strong. It's more of a representation of improving your coordination and making everything easier, which could be GPP, could be strength, could be sport. Well, the, um, you know, I, so the idea of GPP is, uh, is really broad. Uh, you know, we, we look at it like a base level of fitness, a base level of conditioning, a base level of being in shape that allows you to do into more advanced training. Um, you know, when we did the podcast with Jim Wendler, we were talking a little bit about GPP 
people he's buying into uh, even went even more old school and talked about calisthenics. Mm-hmm. The idea of uh, putting calisthenics, jumping jacks, burpees, I mean, just basic body weight movements that, you know, everybody did when we were kids in school as a basis for building GPP and training. And his thing is like dragging a sled, it's not GPP. Well, it could be if, if ever, like it's the idea of everything's GPP, nothing's GPP kind of a deal. So however you want to skin it within the template, I mean, we use the warm-ups as a uh, you know, base level of conditioning. That's why I tell people, I'm like, try to get through them at a good pace. You don't have to kill yourself. Uh, there's active recovery days. I mean, everything's kind of skinned in such a way that we're working on uh, you know, a concurrent training model where I think a lot of times if you look at like the NSCA, kind of this block periodization where we're like, we're going to do a GPP conditioning phase and then we're going to do a strength phase and then we're going to do a power phase. And then we're going to, you know, I don't think that we exist in these phases. I don't think things exist in a vacuum. And so we've been using concurrent training models that were focused. Like obviously the post-activation potentiation training is going to be a little different than the uh, power athlete metabolic conditioning cycle is obviously an outcome. And we're actually using this, but you know, this is a preparatory phrase, you know, and then we're going to get into that strength. And then we're going to ask people to do a little more power and speed, but we're always kind of using it in a concurrent training model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's beautifully put. So now challenge that people face they hear this podcast they get excited about joining they may find themselves in week two three four of a cycle how should they approach it man um it's less than ideal but it is what it is Mm -hmm. and i hate that term i hate where people like it is what it is it feels like such a fucking cop out but the way that the concurrent training model works or um, or it's not necessarily a training model but the continuous team training that we're using on the different programs is uh, you might jump in and hear about Field Strong, listen to this deal, and decide you want to get in, and you might be in the middle of something that's, you know, progressed. And uh, man, this is something I wrestle with because um, you know we're constantly doing market research on what other people are doing, and not necessarily from training um, standpoint. I'm really interested in how other people's apps are working. So we, you know, worked to train heroic for a long time to help build best in class training. And part of that is me looking at how other people are using their apps and delivering their training. And the way other people solve this is they just write one week of training. And then this is your training for eight weeks and just try to do the same thing for eight weeks. The problem is that's boring. There has to be progression. You know, I have to be able to do something different or the program after eight weeks has to show me I couldn't do something in week one. Now I can do it in week eight because they took me on the journey. And uh, that's what these programs do. So you might just jump in. I think what you do is uh, take a level or just take a step back, realize that we're in this thing for the long fight. Mm-hmm. So take a little bit slow. Like, for example, if it says, hey, I want you to lift a 5RM, I want you to lift five heavy reps. These doesn't have to be a 5RM. I need you to have a little room to grow. So if anything, like when you show up for week one, you might be in the middle of something. I want you to just, uh, you know, like keep the RPMs a little low and just get used to it. Take a week or two to kind of acclimate before you put the hammer down. Don't come in and try to kick the door or the wall or the side of the door off the hinges day one. Yeah. And I also want you to dive into the videos. I'm talking not the athlete, not you, John, but dive into the videos and listen to the coaching instruction because how we want you to execute several barbell movements, several movements on there is very particular and probably different than you've ever experienced yeah. Unless you had a switched on high school or college football coach or college strength and conditioning coach. So the movement in which you are executing, particularly the squat is what I'm talking about, right? Toes forward, athletic position, knees over your arches, you're in steps, may be different than you've experienced on a different program. Sure. So don't expect to get the same rep max 
as you experienced before with this new way to movement. Think of it as a different squat variation similar to front squat, overhead squat, and now the power athlete squat. Well, uh, the squat is really a foundational movement for us to really start working on getting people ready to sprint and jump. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though, you know, with the sprinting, you're constantly on one leg. We can really teach a lot of the mechanics. Uh, The big one, too, is, um, and I I don't know where this came from, the idea that your knees should not track over your toes. So much so there's a guy on Instagram who's called Knees Over Toes, which anybody that's ever looked at a side profile of somebody sprinting will know that your knee naturally goes over your toe. So it would be an intelligent endeavor when you squat and when you're doing different movements like Bulgarian split squats or different other ways, whether it be lunging and everything. uh, You're going to have to get your knee over your toe and have a positive shin angle. I know when I was in college and I tore my patellar tendon, I'm sorry, I tore my ACL. They used the middle third of my uh, patellar tendon to fix my ACL graph. And as a result, I ended up with terrible uh, tendonitis in my knee, right? And the reason being is at the time, our strength coach had us sitting back with a real vertical shin, like in like a kind of a West Side barbell powerlifting squat. And what was interesting was, uh, man, the more I did it, the more sheer force on that tendon. And it just made my patellar tendon worse and worse. Um, Fast forward, Todd Rice comes in and we get into a more Olympic lifting template. Now, all of a sudden, I'm wearing Oli shoes and forcing positive shin angle on my knees to go over my toes and my squat. I mean, within six weeks, all the tendonitis was, was gone. The minute that I got my knees over my toes and started strengthening my patellar tendon, now all of a sudden, I did not have any tendonitis anymore, and I've never had it since. So, you know, there, there comes into something where, you know, if you're going to, and I think the experience that I had within injuries and training and looking at it and being like, you have to look at the demands of the sport. If you're going to sprint and run and change direction, then the training has to prepare you to sprint, run and change direction and jump. And you have to be strong and stable on one leg. You got to be able to generate force in two legs and you have to be able to transition between the X, Y, and Z axis, both seamless and effortless. And that original conversation we had of, you know, power athlete, the idea of fostering, developing athleticism and defining athleticism as the ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine primal movement patterns through space to accomplish a known or novel task. Field strong was always the answer for all of this. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to increase athleticism and, you know, I believe that, you know, a, a lot of programs talk about training athletes, but I don't believe there's a single program that's thrown a stake in the ground to find athleticism and said, this is what we're doing. This is the technology. Years ago when Greg Glassman asked me to help them come, you know, help work with CrossFit to develop their tech on how to train athletes. This was the answer. This is the definition of athleticism. Here's a training program that fosters and develops athleticism based upon the blueprint that we've designed. I mean, that's what was killer when uh, I heard Cal Deet speak mm-hmm. because the program that he and the way he was teaching it fit within the blueprint of athleticism better than anything I'd seen in a long, long time. So it was very real for us to be like, all right, what's the limiting factor? How does this go? Hit him with a ton of questions and then be able to incorporate and answer some questions for some things that we had been, you know, like uh, had trying to back into for a long, long time. So he answered some, or he answered some really interesting questions that we had had in terms of that idea of like strengthening the foot instead of just kind of round about it, just fucking get in there and do it. Mm-hmm. Now, this, this leads me to the next question. How quickly will someone see results and how do we define results? <sighs> Man, I really like, I, I don't think I can answer that because they're not here 
with us coaching them in the daily application. I believe if, uh, if you had a, a bunch of athletes show up here every day and we had the ability to take them through the training and really just coach them through the excellence that the program requires, I think within six or eight weeks, we could see some really remarkable improvement. The problem is, is that the most of the people that are following this are either within a global gym or within the garage. Mm-hmm. So uh, even though we have best in class training, there's always going to be something lost in translation opposed from somebody standing there who understands the program and exactly what I want to see, which would be like if you showed up every day to power athlete to train with us. And with, if they showed up every day to power athlete, we'd be forcing qualitative measurements in there. That, what I want to get to is saying our warmups. If we're introducing these new movements, dead bugs suck. Shin hops suck. All these different first opportunities. But the more you expose yourself to, an excellent marker for success is, can I now complete three rounds of the warm-up? Mm-hmm. Can I now go into four and improve movement is what you will see quickly. And that's, I mean, that's a matter of weeks. So uh, the interesting thing that we get quite a lot of questions is I can't do shin hops. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, even with, uh, you know, no range of motion in my knee where I can only get to 90, I can still do shin hops. So that idea of like being able to pop and explode and be able to violently be able to transition between, you know, that knee up to the feet. Uh, like to me, that's not necessarily like you can't do shin hops. We've just not learned to train using compensatory acceleration. If we can train compensatory acceleration, it gets you to be violent as mechanical advantage increases. So to speed, the shin hops become second nature because that's exactly what it's asking us to do. Yes. And let me explain that movement for our unfamiliar listens, listeners. So imagine that you take two knees. So now I drop down to the ground, both knees, and then I sit my butt back onto my heels. And from this butt on my heels position, I violently extend my hips and pop up into an athletic position. Do you know where the shin hop came from? I've told you I would story. love for you to share this. Story. So six years old, uh, I got, I, I told, I've told the story. We got into martial arts. So my older brother got beat up by some bully down the street. <laughs> so my dad karate kid style took him down to this, uh, uh, this martial arts place. And there was a old Japanese dude, Sensei Habura. And after about three weeks, my brother started practicing on my other brother and I, my dad just took all three of us. So, <laughs> It was old school Japanese Shotokan. So imagine like hardwooded floor and like they would like while the instructor or the, the um, sensei was teaching or was doing anything because we had to learn like these things that were called katas. They're almost like uh, like a choreographed dance. And like there was like punching and kicking, obviously, but you demonstrate proficiency in these katas is how you test through. So while they were doing these demos, we used to have to sit on our knees in like a basically a seated position on, you know, like a shin hop. And then when they would say go, we had to basically shin hop and jump up. And that was how you got into position off of your knees. There wasn't like any like pushing yourself up. You basically were on your knees, you jump up onto your feet. And then he would be like, I forgot what he'd say. It was basically like up. We all had to jump up. And so like the first day, if you can't do a shin hop, what do you shame, do? Shame, shame. No, you work on shin hops because ah. you like, that's how we start everything. So like the first day, if you couldn't pop up, there's a kid sitting in the corner who the entire day was just working on getting off of his knees. And then you go on with the rest of the class. Thank God I could do shin hop. Somebody did it and I popped right up. It was no big deal. But um, yeah, so that's where it came from. Six years old. That's how you got off your knees. Well, I think you answered your own question. How do we, how quickly do we see results or how do we measure success proficiency? 
I mean, that's something that you need to look for within this movement is you can do more with less effort. That's athleticism. Well, uh, it's like in CrossFit, you remember they were real excited about the muscle up. And then, you, you know, mean just the simple getting into position for that. And then, you know, in gymnastics, gymnastic. the muscle up wasn't really a deal. That was just how they got into position to start their routine. It's kind of like the shin hop. The shin hop was just like what we did to start the fight. It wasn't necessarily a training deal. But then uh, years later, there was a guy named Jim Stasi who was a sprint coach who was training people. He did uh, like the big treadmill, the overspeed treadmill mm-hmm. that we have. He had a bunch of those and used to do all that crazy overspeed stuff. And he used the, I got hooked up with him through Compex because he was using the EMS devices. He claimed to be able to use the EMS devices to put on muscle without lifting weights. So when I hear kind of preposterous claims, because it doesn't work like that, uh, I just thought it was real interesting. So we went over and actually Amanda went with me. Um, and uh, Amanda Ruler, who is a sprinter the, from Canada, the bobsledder sprinter. She's a football coach now, I think it's Saskatchewan. She came and we would train with, uh, with Stasi, And he used to use the shin hop as uh, some of his plyo conditioning stuff. And so from there, I was like, oh, like, I just thought this was just the move that we would use all the time in terms of just getting in the fight in martial arts. But I thought it was an interesting piece. And then he had more people training. And it was fascinating to see how many people could not do a shin hop, at which point I was like, oh, shit, we're going to probably throw this back in the program for a little bit of plyometrics. The other thing I like is that you're starting that position and then you transfer and you land in a good athletic position so it's just another way to challenge posture position for that universal athletic position. You, and mentioned another tool that we utilize throughout the year in field strong plyo conditioning. Yes. So very different than uh, conditioning your daily workout of the day. Yeah. So plyometrics, um, the idea of, I mean, geez, oh, I can't even define it, but really the idea of some form of dynamic jumping and being explosive. Um, you know, I mean, it's kind of like if uh, if you have to jump, like like there's no like there's no way to do a slow power clean, just like there's no way to slowly jump up on a box. You either have to jump up and land it or you don't. And so with a lot of the plyo stuff, we found that people could do one, but then we started throwing a little bit of more plyometric conditioning. Now, I wasn't like the, uh, you know, FICO bad 30 box jumps up and down. That A very important point that he just said, that does not mean more reps. Yeah. It just means, uh, how would I define this? Uh, more opportunities to execute it well. Yeah. And there also has to be more than just bilateral hip hinging up yeah. and down. So we'll use, you know, uh, different variations for not only the jumps, but there's also lateral jumps and single legs. And, you know, we look everything into unilateral and bilateral. So, I mean, but we do put a lot of plyo conditioning in there, which is just getting your capacity up to be able to handle more stuff, to be able to get onto more exp- expensive tr- or extensive training. And focus on tissue health. Uh, example, dynamic step-ups where yep. we have one foot locked in on a box any from anywhere from 10 to 12 inches. And then we're just using the rebound of the dynamic step-up. So imagine I start in a high knee step-up and I want to power the high knee leg down while the other foot's locked in on the box and then use it to really help my Achilles tendon learn how to stretch and shorten properly. Sure. As an older athlete especially. Before we do the sprinting, the more dynamic, explosive stuff. Uh, I don't understand if it's neurological or if it's something within maybe the the tissue or maybe within the minerals. I mean, it could be something within like a, a million different things. But as we age, for some reason, uh, the we we lose the ability to generate force within the tendons. So we lose that like you know rigidity, and you'll see you know uh, older guys you know 
pull hamstrings, rupture tendons, Achilles, all that. And I think it comes from, it could be from, uh, from age. It could be that the fact that they just don't train as ballistically, maybe we just become, you know, stiffer as we get older. It could be, if you look at Craig Bielder's stuff, the fact that other muscles aren't firing, which I think is what happened to my brother when he ruptured his quadriceps tendon. I think he just had too many muscles to shut down. And when the muscles aren't there to absorb force, now all of a sudden it goes up chain. And now all of a sudden you have uh, uh, tendons that are trying to reduce force where muscles should be. Mm-hmm. I think that's happened to my brother. But um, it definitely becomes, and maybe just the fact that we aren't training as, as ballistically, if that's a word, ballistically, yeah. uh, as we age. So realistically, finding interesting ways, like you brought up a good with like the single leg, um, you know, dynamic uh, step ups. Like the idea of like controlling and being able to control the elasticity where now you have a foot planted half or you know less of that body weight as you're controlling and working on that rebound. So finding ways to continue to get people like um, one of my favorites is the flutter kicks for the hamstrings. The idea of getting the hamstring to turn on and off that fast uh, is a huge preparatory for being able to sprint. The other one is the Nordic hamstring curls, which we don't use as much as we would like to because a lot of times um, people don't have partners. And if they don't have partners, it's very difficult to get yourself. I mean, I know they have Sornix probably sell some $10,000 bitch and sled deal that helps you all do it. But at the end of the day, you really, I think, need a partner in terms of being able to do that. I've watched people like hook up this and bands and the whole deal. I think that's something that needs a partner. I'm sure you can hack your way into it, but it really does need a partner. But I'd love to incorporate more of those into the program. Yeah. If we had partner training a lot more manual resistance would be involved but dude uh we were um when uh i was at um so when i was out with spitz uh you know he was training a bunch of his professional athletes so i got a chance to talk to a bunch of his young nfl offensive linemen and they were asking me like you know what are some of the problems and i, I tell people that especially in offensive line play um you have to be able to generate force and be strong in your end ranges Right. The idea that like, you know, within the hip, like if you start losing hip mobility, like, for example, I lost you know range of motion in my knee due to injury. But yet I was still able to do a ton of stuff because my hips were extremely mobile and I was strong in end ranges. So then the guy goes, well, give me some examples. So we did some manual resistance. I did Mr. Butterfly. We did Mr. Clamshell. I did the straight leg. I took him through all the um, all the uh, different manual resistance complex. And uh, it was pretty fascinating to see how weak they were at their end ranges. Mm-hmm. So like Mr. Butterfly, when it was open, like zero strength, like I could have held him this, but then all of a sudden they get to right about here. And then he got strong, especially yeah. on the hip. Uh, everybody was, was strong in the mid range. They were really weak in the end ranges. And so then I asked, Hey, take me through this. And the thing that the guy was like, Hey man, like you're way stronger in these end ranges. I'm like, cause we train these end ranges. Mm-hmm. The problem is you guys aren't getting into these end ranges. And so there's a whole protocol. And I think, um, for $27 for seven days free for the best training program that I can write for an individual in their garage who's using it to foster and develop athleticism. I mean, we have been beating the drum of fostering, developing athleticism and training like an athlete since most of these people even found the internet. I mean, since fucking 2008, we've been, you know, we've been on this train. So the problem though is, is there's everything that I would love to do but then there comes down to what can I do in terms of maximizing both efficacy, safety, and maximal return. And so, I mean, would the program look a little bit different if you showed up and trained? 100%. We probably do a little bit more manual resistance. We probably do a little bit different variations within the sprint because we have some really bitching stuff with that uh, incline treadmill. 
Um, I mean, we also have a hill that I, I groomed in the back to be able to do uphill running. You know, it kind of starts slow and then it goes up. So, I mean, there's some really cool stuff that we've been able to do. Now that we've added more concrete, we have the ability to do more, more outside stuff. So, Well, on that note, how can somebody following the program in their garage or Globo gym get the most out of it? I think follow it is written. Uh, realistically, uh, the, the prep and the warmups are written in such a way that we're pattering you for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. The other thing too is, um, you got to video this stuff. You either got to send it in, you got to post it, you got to tag it. You got to, you know, we have the remote coaching thing lined up, uh, being able to work with somebody to get some real feedback. And then more importantly, um, being honest with yourself, like, uh, like I think there's a weird feeling of like, uh, I'm I'm not strong or I don't want to do this. Fuck that. Everybody starts somewhere. And we found that the people that humble themselves early and really take time to, to like fine tune it and do everything perfect to master the movement. Yeah. Master the movements. I have the power. Um, it, it, it's really, I mean, like when you think about the blueprint for athleticism and if, even if, if I say that to somebody like, you know, like, you know, just take a moment to think about the greatest displays of athleticism you've ever seen, you know, Barry Sanders running as fast as he can, putting his foot in the ground and going, you know, lateral uh, frontal plane and then going vertical. I mean, you can think about, you know, watching the Olympics, watching professional football, basketball. You can see the world's best athletes display it every night. And what we're really working for is fostering, developing athleticism and putting you in a position by teaching you the pieces and then reassembling, which is that chunking model. Mm-hmm. And then asking you to go and do something athletic. Uh, there is never a day that's not forcing you to test your and use your athleticism in creative and interesting ways and field strong. Yep. So there you have it, folks. Field strong. If you're not already on it, head to powerathletehq.com yep. slash field strong. If, uh, if you're, if you want to jump into field strong, the only caveat I give you is there's a high amount of quality work and it requires you to be in good shape. We found that the people that have a higher base level of conditioning tend to survive the training better. What I get nervous of is if you're deconditioned and you jump in on something and field strong and we ask you to do something it puts you maybe in a, in, in not a great place. So if you do click in on it, I want you to take it slow and I want you to really focus on building up that aerobic base, making sure that the muscles and everything are really trained to be able to handle this stuff. Because what will happen is if you're deconditioned and you go into something ballistic, sometimes we run into some issues, especially with some of the uh, older guys that haven't been doing this stuff. Like, what do you mean? I was an athlete 20 years ago. And then they jump in on this. I think if you take it slow, and you really go through the warm-ups and you take time and you kind of focus on this stuff. It'll take you about six or eight weeks to acclimate. But within that six or eight weeks, be smart. Like, don't be stupid. And if you need help, reach out. We're, we're all over the feeds. We're on social media. I comment on things. I get DMs all the time. I had a guy uh, we tested um, on Jack Street, uh, a 10RM um, of uh, uh, partials no lockout. So it was uh, back squats no lockout. And, and so, so this guy tagged me on it. And as he got to the top, he pushed his hipster at the top. And I was like, when are you going to do the 10 RM? No, no lockouts. And he's like, well, I'm doing the, you know, isn't that what partials are? I'm like, you missed the no lockout part. And then he, he must've been partial. Like don't go all the way down. No, it's uh like partial. Know, like, so yeah, partial lockout. It's, it means like full range of motion at the bottom. Don't lock out at the top, keep the stress on the body. And I guess he had posted it in real time. So he, he did it, came back, posted it, and then I commented on it so quickly that he literally was like, what about this one? I'm still doing them. And then he did it, and it fucking smashed him because that one does smash people. Yeah. 
and several movement opportunities to yeah. challenge your athleticism found on field strong seven day free trial. And I mean, we're, we're living on those feet. Yeah. So I mean, it's, if you've got it's, anything, it's, it's really the lifeline. It's, it's how we connect and uh, we're all over it. So if you want to jump on just a uh, real easy power uh, backslash or sorry, slash field strong. If you want to get right to it, seven day free trial, jump on in both feet. If you got any problems, hit us up. You can always get us on social media at John Wilborn at uh, McQuilkin. And other than that, reach out, let us know how you're doing. So. All right. That's an, that does it for another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Did you have a banana? Uh, <laughs> no, I hung out with Nick Kyle <laughs> inside joke, but folks, thank you very much. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!